interesting moment. Um, one of the reasons uh, we give out palm branches, well, big reason, I was at them when I was a kid. And so we just mad dad on whether or not I'm going to remember to order those. Um, and this year, as you can see, they were ordered fine. Um, I set an alarm to pick them up yesterday, and um, apparently a.m. and p.m. are different. And so my alarm went off at 10 o'clock last night saying, pick up the palm branches, which is funny because at the place closed at 1, and at 12.30, I was like, I think I have something I have to do today. And I was trying to think about, oh, my word, the palm branches. And so um, I know none of you care, but here's the backup plan, just so you know. Uh, if we ever forget, if I ever forget... Um, I'm running to Walmart, and we're buying a bunch of palm trees, and then we're going to yank them off the trees when you come in, just like back in the day. They actually did, because flower shops weren't really a thing back then. But anyway, so uh, those are your, and if you're wondering, like, well, what's the deal with this? Why do we have these? This is one of those stories that feels very removed from our life. Even to make reference, and we're going to do this, but even to say and make reference that, like, this is a one almost a one-for-one one on a ticker tape parade. We don't even do those anymore. Uh, partly because there's no championships that are won in Wisconsin. But, um, no. What? Oh, that's right, the Bucks. That's right, okay. So, all right, I was just, I guess, projecting my Detroitness on the room. But uh, even a ticker tape parade, like, we... And that's a lot what this was. But it can feel very just this story, like it's not a healing story. It's not a Jesus meeting. It's, it's, one, it's like, where do I find myself in this story that is so just removed and disconnected? And yet it comes around every single year. Um, and so one of the ways for us to link into this story is by just with those palm branches, as a tangible, tactile reminder of this was an actual moment that adds significance. And we're going to unpack a little bit of that significance this morning. Um, and so, all right, let's go. We got lots of things to cover this morning. So in The Wounded Healer, Henry Nowen, which is a phenomenal read if you're uh, looking for a short-ish book, 120-ish pages, Henry Nowen uh, retells this ancient Indian um, story. It goes like this. Four royal sons were questioning what specialty they should master. And they said to one another, let's search the earth and learn a special science. So they decided, uh, and after they'd agreed which place they would go to, but then when they would come back and where they would meet, the four brothers started off each in a different direction. And so time went by, and the brothers at the appointed place, at the appointed time, met back up. And when they did, they shared what they had learned. And so the first brother says, I've mastered a science, which uh, in, uh, makes it possible for me, if I have nothing but a piece of bone of some creature, to create straight away the flesh that goes with it. And then the second says, um, I know how to grow the creature's skin and the hair if the flesh is on the bone. And the third said, I'm able to create the limbs if I have the flesh and the skin and the hair. And the third concluded, I know how to give life to the creature if its form is complete and it has all its limbs. 
And so from that space, the brothers go out into the jungle and they find a piece of bone so that they could demonstrate their specialties. And as fate would have it, the bone they found actually was a lion's bone. And so they didn't know it. They pick up the bone and the first brother adds flesh to the bone and then the second grows hide and hair and the third completed the matching limbs and then the fourth gives it life. So then shaking the heavy mane, the ferocious beast does exactly what you know it's going to do. It rises up, attacks the four brothers, kills them there in the jungle, shakes itself off, and goes out into the woods and has a happy life. So it's interesting, this story. It's a very old story, but I don't know. Does this ring familiar to anyone on any stories that we retell each other even still? I mean, does it feel a little like a James Cameron movie, right? Like a Terminator kind of a Skynet sort of thing? Or is that too, like, actual life right now to make fun of? Um, if you're listening, AI, I'm on your side. So, um, or maybe not that, but like Age of Ultron, right? We're going to do this thing. It's going to be great. We're going to show what we can do. And I mean, we could probably, can you think of any other stories that have this as a plot line? None. Those are the two. Those are the only two stories in all of stories. This is actually a reoccurring plot line. It's a reoccurring theme and story. In fact, what it does is it taps into this piece of us, if you think about it for a bit, and now you're going to, as I meander, but what it taps into is this fear that we have, which is actually not just an abstract, or uh, it's the reality that we often are doing something to show my control of a thing, or how I've arrived, or what I can do, and then how that turns on me. And so um, this morning, hang on to that idea, this plot line of creating something and seeing how it can turn, because we're going to circle back to this. I don't, um, so we'll just put this right here for a second. So this morning, we're in the book of Luke, New Testament book, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Uh, If you've got one of the black Bibles, it's page 853. And so our story today is Jesus's, we call it the triumphal entry, or um, the entrance into Jerusalem. It's the Palm Sunday story. It's good to remember that most of Jesus's ministry, um, three and a half years of it, more or less, happens not in Jerusalem, And so for a good chunk of Jesus's ministry, if you've got a Bible with maps, it's always good to kind of do the maps, but a good chunk of Jesus's ministry, here's Jerusalem down here, Um, and most of Jesus's ministry actually happens up here in the northern hill countries of Galilee, we've talked about. Some of it happens up in, well, most of it's here. And John has Jesus coming into Jerusalem more often than the other three gospel writers. But um, so in this, we've got Jesus doing most of his ministry up in here. And I know like in our minds, it's, it's all old and it's all just old buildings and they're brown, right? 
in their dirt. But even with that in mind, it's easy to have this mental picture of it all happening in Jerusalem or all happening around the temple. In most of its hillsides, and as we've seen as we were going through the Sermon on the Plain, that's happening in just this low area around the Sea of Galilee, where we're going to be, oh, that pixelated nicely. So where we're going to be is actually here in Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives and Jericho's here. This is the Jordan River and the Dead Sea. So um, just so you got this. If you're ever like wanting a visual map, um, there's, it can be tricky because there's the Old Testament and the Old Testament, the names and the places and stuff are some similar, but not all of them the same as New Testament names and places and whatever. And so there's this great map by this group um, called Drive Through History that we actually bought. It's in our dining room. Um, and so when we're doing Bible uh, with the family, I'm like, we're here or we're here or whatever. And so that's a just a thing that can help it be real. Okay, here we go. Luke chapter 19, 28 through 44. After Jesus said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. And those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, the owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, don't worry about it. That would have been funny. They replied, the Lord needs it. And they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and Jesus and, and put Jesus on it. That, that's a funny image. They put their stuff on it, and then Luke says they put Jesus on it. Just picture that. I don't know. I don't know why that's funny to me. It's just a funny picture. They put Jesus on it. Jason, you're wasting our time. I know, I'm sorry. So they put Jesus on it, and as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory on the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And as they approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes, the days will come, Upon you when your enemies will build embankments against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. And they will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. And they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This is such a great story. So just so we have this visual of this real quick. So 
Uh, this is looking from the south, kind of up across uh, Israel. Um, and so Jordan River Valley here on the side, Sea of Galilee up here. Um, remember, Jesus does most of his ministry up here, home base in Capernaum, and then uh, kind of comes down through this valley in this region into Jericho. And so right before this scene, Jesus is having ministry actually in Jericho. We have um, him connecting with uh, Zacchaeus, who was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. That's in Jericho. And so in, uh, and then from there, Jesus begins going up the road um, from Jericho. Now, if we did a field trip into Israel nowadays, you can go to Jericho um, and in, it's from the city, the ancient ruins of Jericho, you can look out to the east and you can see the Jordan Valley. And it's one of the lowest places on the earth. And so from Jericho, you go uphill to, um, up to Jerusalem. And so up the Jericho Road, which was desolate and winding and dangerous because of bandits. It's, it's the setting where Jesus paints the story of the Good Samaritan. There's a reason. It's not a nice little drive from Oshkosh to Nina or from Oshkosh to Fond du Lac along the water where it's scenic, and let's do that route even though it takes an extra couple minutes. The Jericho Road from Jericho up to Jerusalem See, even now, it's dusty, and it's dry, and it barely rains there, and you drive, and you drive, and you drive, and halfway there, you're only, you've only gone to sea level. So halfway from Jericho to Jerusalem, you hit sea level. That's how low and dry and desolate this is. And then from there, you continue to go uphill, uphill, miles and miles, and See, when you get to the Mount of Olives, this is your view. This is actually sunset. We're uh, up on the Mount of Olives. I know I've talked about this before, but um, this is the Kidron Valley in between. The Mount of Olives where we are in the Temple Mount. This is the Temple Mount, this bit built by Herod the Great. And so there's no temple there now because of what Jesus said here. Jesus said, if you knew what bring you, would bring you peace, even you, but you can't see it and what's going to happen. And not to get ahead of myself, but, but within 40 years of Jesus saying that, the, the Jews revolt again and Rome has had enough. And they wipe out Jerusalem. And so what you see here uh, standing at the Mount of Olives, looking down. This is actually a Jewish cemetery. And so it's grave after grave after grave, and then down into the Kidron Valley, and there's cool archaeological things in there, and then up to um, the city of Jerusalem, the, the Great Wall. And you can't see it real well, but there's a blocked-in gate here, the gate beautiful that Jesus probably went in. And here you see the Dome of the Rock, which isn't a mosque, actually. It's a tomb. But the mosque on Temple Mount is over here. And so it's interesting. If you go on Temple Mount uh, and 
it's just this gigantic platform of a thing. And there's really old trees, and it's sacred, and it's tense. In fact, uh, Temple Mount, even though that area just outside of it of Jerusalem, if you are going to visit Temple Mount or you go to where the Western Wall is or the Wailing Wall, you the most sacred place for Jews now who go there and pray when you see uh, oftentimes that's the picture you see. And, and then there's, there's Israelite soldiers there, Israeli soldiers there. And then you go up this ramp, and as you're going up this ramp to get onto the Temple Mount, they tell you, don't do anything dumb, because once you get up there, we can't come up there. And so the Temple Mount itself is actually uh, not uh, policed or controlled by the Israelis through a peace treaty from the Palestinian war. Uh, It's actually uh, Jordanian. So there's this tension there. And if you go there today, they say, don't make a scene of praying. In fact, you can't go on and have like a little, you know, kumbaya worship circle with a guitar. You'll get arrested. It's... Because it's so tense. And see, now is not anything different than what it was back then. And so we read this story and we're like, there's a lot going on in here. And we're going to unpack that in a second. But, but we can't miss the tension that is there. And I know it's the Middle East and there's always been tension in the Middle East. And it's hard for us to get our heads around. But think about that environment where you go into that you know you're walking into where a fight just happened. And you walk in and you're kind of like, I didn't do, did I do something? Am I in trouble? Are you in trouble? Are they in trouble? Are we all in trouble? Right? And it's uncomfortable and it's tense and you're not quite sure how to break that tension and you're not even sure if it's your job to break the tension, but there you sit. And it's into that space that Jesus is coming. Now this is a super important scene, and it's a really old scene. And you follow the footnote from your Bible that when the people are saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, it's a reference back into a couple different points in the Old Testament, but it's to this word from the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah 9.9, generations and generations before the time of Jesus says this, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, shout, daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. Now we refer to this moment as, um, as the triumphal entry because it's the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem. And, and we kind of have some mental pictures of that when the Bucks won uh, the World Series. <laughs> when, when, when your sports team wins right? But we've also seen when your sports team doesn't win, and especially in college world, right? Oh man, our team lost. Let's go flip cars and burn the place down. What? Luckily, we're division two here, right? Although the girls championship gymnastics, way to go UWO. But uh, that same tension, like why is that? See, 
Zechariah is speaking to the people who are back in their land from exile, but it's not quite as it's supposed to be. And so speaks to them and says, look, there's going to come a time where it's going to be set right. And your king's going to come to you and he's going to be riding on a donkey. And we don't maybe have triumphs, but in the ancient world, a triumph was a thing. And see, what it was, was, say, if you were a Roman uh, Caesar, and you went and you conquered, well, then you would come back and you would bring the spoils of war with you as you re-entered. And you would show, these are the military victories that we've done, and these are the elephants that we captured when we conquered that place, and, and they're lions and tigers and bears, and they're military leaders that we've shamed and the plunders of war and their treasures are now our treasures. And it was a triumph. And museums all over the world are full of paintings and artwork of triumphs. And so that was the mental image that would have been there for those who were thinking of a triumphal entry. But that wasn't what God wove into this story. See, in ancient generations before Jesus is on the scene, God crafts this moment in a preparation for this moment, but he shows this as a humble moment, not as a conquering moment. And so they're coming into Jerusalem, and it's Passover. This, it's the actual festival of Passover, it's, which is this reminder of this ancient moment when God delivered the Jews who were slaves in Egypt back through Moses. Remember the story? And it's in the book of Exodus, and God through Moses escalates to show who he is through the plagues and the wickedness of the Pharaoh and the hard-heartedness of Pharaoh. And then the last of the plagues, the worst of the plagues, where it's the death of the firstborn. But, see, God made a way for the angel of destruction or the angel of death that was going to come in. God made a way to show that it pass over this house. So there's a sacrifice of a lamb and blood on the door frames. And... God gave instructions for a meal that night and to stay indoors and to don't and the whole nine yards of it. And then he says, do this every single year after so that you don't forget. Do you have anything in your life that is significant enough to you? Not your birthday, not an anniversary, but significant enough to you that you circle back to it? I hope you do. Some of the things are marking things that you wish weren't on a calendar. It's a death. It's a loss of a job. Other things are celebration things that as it comes around on the calendar, you're reminded. Or as you see it again in your journal or your perpetual journal, if you have one of those. There's an important significance in being reminded not only the moment you're in, but where you've come from and how God's been in motion and where you are right now, that God is still in motion. And so that's what Passover was. 
And so what was Passover was then it's this meal that's celebrated. It can be celebrated anywhere, but if you were, if you could, if you could, you'd go to Jerusalem. And so you were on pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And so there's Jesus on pilgrimage down from Galilee to Jericho and up the Jericho Road. Along with all the other pilgrims going to Jerusalem. See, and it's great. This is this fantastic moment. And Jesus is going and he's going to celebrate this thing that year after year is being retold to remember what God had done and how he delivered. But it's this weird scene. Jesus borrows a colt, a donkey, and then he sends some of his disciples to go get it. Just tell the owner the Lord needs it and that'll be enough. How'd you like that job? We need the donkey? Just go do it. There's two ways. This, Jesus had been in this city before, so maybe he already talked to somebody. Or maybe not. Maybe it's just like, hey, go like Jedi mind trick, get a donkey. Which probably is not actually how it went. But he gets this, the Lord needs it. And the guy's like, okay. And so then they get it. Jesus climbs on. They put him on it. And then they start down from the Mount of Olives into the city. Now, hear this. The followers, it's the crowd. If you see it, if look, look in Luke. The ones who Luke says are the ones who are rejoicing, the ones who are praising, the one who, there's this, there's this myth that we say that the whole city came out in and, and waved Hosanna on Palm Sunday and then said, execute him on Good Friday. And that's the sloppy Bible. See, this whole city doesn't come out. It's hyperbole. The ones who are recognizing that moment are Luke's letting us know the ones who are doing that, even though one of the other gospel writers say the city comes out and or the city's in uproar or whatever, it's a way of saying, look, there's a lot going on here. But Luke lets us know there are some who are traveling with him, and the ones who are traveling with him, then the crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. One of the miracles being the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And so they're in this, but here's why this sticks out to me. See, there are some who recognize the moment they're in, but then there are others who are caught up in the celebration. And then there's maybe even some who are trying to make something happen. And those are three different things. It's all the same moment. Some recognize the moment and are Hosanna and laying down cloaks. Others are caught up in the thing. Oh my word, what's going on? This is a party? Okay, let's do this. And there are maybe some even in the group who see the significance of this moment because Jesus has been talking about it and they're the ones who prime the pump. And let's do this and do that and go get some palm branches. See, in our lives, it's important for us because we are always going to find ourselves in moments. It's important for us to have discernment in those moments. A common prayer is, God, give me eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to discern what's going on right now. 
And that's a pretty good question for us to ask ourselves. Prayerfully consider, God, am I seeing this moment for what it is? Am I being swept up into something? And I don't say that as a, like, don't ever be swept up into something. Is there anyone that's worse in a room than the dude sitting in the back just doing this the whole time? And it's a party and people are cheering and whatever, but it's this. Some of the biggest, most fun memories I have are going to Packer games in my Lions uniform. Because I played for the Lions. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. No. But I pretend. I got my helmet and my pads and my... No, I'm just kidding. But I... And it's like... Okay, so it's a Barry Sanders jersey. How can you be mad at Barry Sanders? And so sitting there, and you know the worst fans to be around? The ones who take that silly little game so serious that they can't have fun in the moment? It's all bantering with people and trying to be a good sport and getting rid of But then the couple times that I've seen the Lions actually win there, like, you know, giving it back. And, but there's, there's a thing about being in a crowd, right? And you can get caught up and brought into a thing. And see, depending on what crowd you're in kind of depends on how that works out for you. Because see, sometimes people are like, I don't know what's going on and I didn't want to do this and now I'm getting in trouble with everyone else. And some of you, this was you in school back in the day or now. And it's, you knew how to take things just far enough that others were coming with you and then you'd stop and then they'd keep going and they'd get in trouble. And as a kid who did that, that was hilarious to me. Like, ah, that was just way to walk into that. But see, even in our regular lives, we've seen that. People who are with the wrong crowd and they didn't start out to do that thing but they got swept up in the crowd and then did the thing. Now, this is a little bit different because the thing that's happening is actually a good thing. But you and I both know that it isn't always that way. And that's where we need to have this rhythm of a prayer in our lives. God, help me to see what's going on. Help me to hear what's going on. Help me to discern what's going on. Because there are some moments that you need to be in that the crowd is going to go this way and you are there and you need to discern that you need to go this way. And there are other times where you need to discern, God, the, this room is going that way or this crowd is going that way and they're actually in step with you. And I need to go with them. That's the beauty of a community of faith. Is that there are moments, this morning was one of those. I love Great Are You, Lord. I love that song. You guys know how to sing that song. It has all the right chords. It has all the right words. It had harmony this morning. Are you kidding me? I'm in the back just... I need to be drawn into that moment. Why? Because I don't believe any of this? Because I'm dry in my soul? No. Not any of that. But I need to be drawn in with the crowd of the room into a thing. That's why we gather in their significance in this. 
But then there's also a great way to manipulate that. And that's why we need ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to discern. And so in this moment, there's those three, and there's more than three, but there's, those are the three that I have time for. And there's also the Pharisees, right? Now, it's easy to paint them as just black hats. Oh, the Pharisees, here they are again. Let's see what Jesus is going to do with those guys. But see, it is super important to realize some of those Pharisees have a tangible memory of the last time there was a revolt in the city of Jerusalem. It was the Maccabean revolt, and it was awful. And so even though the Pharisees are often butting heads with Jesus, and here they clearly butt heads with them, they're also, I'm giving the benefit of the doubt to some in that mix who are like, please don't stir this up. It's Passover. There's a bunch of people around. Some of them are just here because they thought it would look cool. They're here for their Instagram moment. And they don't have any cultural awareness. And they don't have any idea what a flashpoint this moment is. And so please don't stir this up. Please, Jesus, don't wreck Passover. And then there's a whole mess load of others that are just like, what are they doing? This is actually blasphemy. You're not a king. What are you doing? Jesus has this incredible declaration to them. How do you picture when he says, if they are quiet, the stones will cry out? Is it a nice, like, Nickelodeon, veggie tale, the rocks, like, singing? Or is it the thunderous, earthquake. And he doesn't say, and so it's not to make a big deal of this, but we've all been in spaces where we have been overwhelmed by the song of creation praising its creator. If you haven't, turn a screen off and go outside. Hopefully you've stood at the shores of one of the Great Lakes in the morning as the sun's going up or in the evening as the sun's going down and just been still as creation sings to its creator. God did not need to make sunsets beautiful. And not every planet has a beautiful sunset. But the way the light goes through, the atmosphere that God designed so that we can breathe and live bends in such a way that we get beauty night after night after night after night. And I hear in the morning too, but I don't get up to see those. <laughs> Creation sings. We talked about this in Bible study on Wednesday night, the transfiguration when Jesus is like shown in total who he is and whiteness and the glory. He doesn't become that. They are shown what he truly is. And so when Jesus here is saying, if they're quiet, the rocks will cry out, it's not that the rocks aren't crying out. It's that we're supposed to be above them on our vocals. And so we sing. He says, they're going to sing or the rocks are going to sing. 
It's not that creation doesn't sing. The psalmist says the stars and the heavens and the sky are declaring the glory and wonder of God. Tell them to stop. And Jesus says no. N.T. Wright says, As we arrive at Jerusalem with Jesus, the question presses upon us. Are we going along for the trip and hope that Jesus will fulfill some of our hopes and desires? Are we ready to sing a psalm of praise, but only as long as Jesus seems to be doing what we want? The long, dusty, pilgrim way of our lives gives most of us plenty of time to sort out the motives for following Jesus in the first place. Are we ready not only to spread our cloaks on the road in front of him, to do the showy, flamboyant thing, but also now to follow him into trouble and controversy and trial and death. And I would add Bishop Wright to resurrection. See, Jesus doesn't give a full-on explanation of what's going on. This moment is just happening. And that's all set up, actually, to this one point I want to make in just a couple minutes. As Jesus approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. And then he gives this grand, ugly, difficult, prophetic warning. And not even just a warning, but this is what's coming. He says, because you didn't recognize the time of God's coming to you. And we know in 70 AD, Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. It's why there's no temple today. If you go there to the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall, the, the most sacred space in Judaism at this that can be accessed, it's just the foundation of the leveling of it's just, it's just brick walls. I mean, they're ginormous walls. They're, most of them are two, three levels of these panels. That's the stones that make the foundation of the Temple Mount. Even the ruins are incredible. But there's no temple. There's no... Jesus says this is going to happen... And it's going to happen because you didn't recognize it. And as a kid, the, it was the middle stuff there was the stuff that I remember the preachers talking about. It's the destruction. It's the judgment. It's the, all of the things of God. But don't miss through what he is saying those words to them. Wright says it's an essential part of Jesus' message of warning and judgment, which is there. Don't lose that but it's essential that we see that it's uttered finally through sobs and tears. He gives warning, this is what's going to happen because you don't know what will bring you peace and because you are not seeing the arrival moment of God. Which is crazy. Jesus never said he was God. Really, Luke chapter 19, verse 44, this is going to happen because you didn't recognize the time of God's coming to you. That's interesting. He seems to say, I'm coming in and you don't see it. 
But see, the thing that stands out to me in this that is so incredibly important is, yes, there is judgment in this, and do not miss that with our everybody gets a ribbon for participating in life, we all get to get into heaven. No, that's actually not any of the message of the Bible. But even in this life now, we do even recognize what would bring us peace. And Jesus isn't saying this with a whip and a lash and a beatdown, is he? He's weeping. The creator of heaven and earth. How many people came to Jesus with tears? A ton. And now this is the moment where Jesus comes to them, to us, through his tears. Remember the blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are hungry, blessed are those. Remember the woe. Remember the, this is not how it's supposed to be. And this is Jesus through tears, through sobs. How much was he crying before he said what he said? From the Mount of Olives down to the Kidron Valley, which is a pretty real valley, and then back up into the city. At what point in that did the tears start? And how long did he have to go before he regained his composure enough to even be able to say this? The imagery isn't a little choked up. Jesus saw just one little, like, big Disney-eyed baby on the side and was like, oh. He looked at humanity. And with the love of God, through tears, said, if you only knew what would bring you peace. So here's the question. What brings you peace? What brings you peace? Remember four years ago when we could all pretend that we were doing okay? Remember four years ago when students were in class together and pretending they were doing okay? Remember four years ago when you used to just go into the office with everyone else and you didn't think there was a different way and everyone pretended to be okay? Remember when we used to go to the cabin on the weekends and pretended we were okay? Remember when we used to go out on the lake and brought the cooler and drank away to pretend we were okay? Remember four years ago when we could keep the facade pretty good that we were doing okay? Study after study after study shows that lockdown proved no one's doing okay. And it's if it weren't for God, you can do anything and you can change this story, it is depressing to read stories of what's going on in students' lives right now. Most headlines say the students are not doing okay. And we want to sue TikTok and we want to get on Instagram and whatever. No, no, no. That's just the condition of the human heart. We're not doing okay. This week, I had a point of crisis. My job is working with words, and now all of a sudden, robots work with words. 
how am I uniquely and wonderfully made if I can have chat GPT, which I've never used, and I'm, I'm going to rage it like an old man, get off my lawn. But if you had that point of crisis where the thing you did and the thing you are now is outsourced, who are you? And I sat down with my cup of coffee at Elsewhere and got out one of my colored markers because I knew I wanted it to be important and wrote a prayer. God, I'm sad in my heart because the thing that all the way up to this point was the thing that I could say defines me is now able to be mimicked. Who am I? See, we're at a unique point in history, but we're not. There was a time when Galileo pointed uh, and made an observation, and those in power said, we, humanity, earth, is the center of the universe. And And here's how the Bible says that. And if you disrupt that order, then we now have no value as the center of the universe. And those in power did things, and it wasn't just the church. But that was a point in history where humanity is the center and the pinnacle and the crown of creation was disrupted. And here we are hundreds of years later, and we're like, what a silly moment. We have no idea what it was like to have somebody say, you are not the center of the universe, except we all do. And so here we find ourselves. And maybe your world isn't affected by uh, AI chat, whatever. But if you worked on the line, like so many of the people I grew up around in Michigan, when automation began to come in and a robot began to do what it took three We are all going to find ourselves at a place where the thing we think defines us is not actually the thing. And that is so incredibly wrecking. And so here's the thing. Who I am, who God made me to be, is not putting words together. You are uniquely and wonderfully made. You are a Mago Dei. You are created, made in the image of God. And you, me, are bent and broken by the sin we go after and by the sin that is inflicted on us from others. We are bent and broken, but that never erases the image of God, ever. And the image of God isn't the things that we create. I'm sorry, creatives. That is a piece of who he's made us to be. The image of God isn't our ability to use tools. The image of God is not the stringing together of words. The image of God is a mystery in us. It's not our digits. And regardless of what our culture says we can define ourselves as, That's just four royal boys 
showing, look at the science I can do that is actually creating a lion that turns on us and eats us. Whether it's me defining who I am rather than submitting to who God has created me to be, whether I like it or not. Jay, I don't know if I'm real comfortable with that message. Deal with it. Because I have to. We live in a culture that wants to come back at an appointed time, at an appointed place, and show all that we can do. Rather than coming to our Creator and saying, You've made me. And I submit to that regardless of what I feel like. Jay, what are you saying? Let's get a cup of coffee and get in the weeds on that. But Jesus sees the city and he goes, If you knew what would bring you peace, and in tears of sorrow, says you're going after the wrong stuff. See, peace isn't contingent on outside circumstances because we peace comes when we recognize the, the timing of God's coming to us. What brings us peace? In the city then is the same as the city now. We think it's politics and sports and work and travel and chemicals and a bottle and a boat and food and shopping and porn and whatever else. And we think that's the thing that's going to give us peace. And Jesus looks into the city of your life through tears and says, it's going to all be undone. See, there were those then that looked at Rome to bring peace. They're going to crush the rebels. It's going to be fine. There were those then who thought Rome could keep the border safe and keep the economy going. There were those then who thought, if I just get enough education and I study the law, then if I keep learning, then it's going to bring me comfort. There were those then who looked at religion or the temple and said, if I just go in on that, then I'm going to have peace. And there were those then who said, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That was then, and this is still here. But see, this is good news, gang. It's good news because no one is going to look at you and go, you can't create your own peace. No one's going to do it. Because the message to all of us is make your own peace. And don't let anyone else steal your peace. And here's what your peace looks like. Lose weight, get a surgery, change your hair, work out more, join a gym, buy this car, get this phone, get that guy, get this girl, leave your responsibilities, go on vacation, Keep the machine of our economy running by your discontent. And Jesus weeps. And he says, if you only knew what would bring you peace. So what brings us peace? Restored relationship with God. It's not escapism. See, when God is working to restore a relationship with who we are because of who he is and what he has done, his sacrifice on the cross, his new life through resurrection, when God working begins God working in 
me, then what that does is it then spills into the other relationships in my life. And see, I don't have peace with others because I am so bound with shame and fear. I don't want you to know what's going on in my life. I got to keep you at arm's length. You might hurt me. Or you might know who I really am. In this shame and this fear. See, how God brings us peace is by making us right with the Father and then making us right with others because he's taken care of that sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. doesn't mean there's not consequences, but there's not shame. And so by a show of hands, who has their life figured out and has it all together? Not a one of us in the room. And we all hope nobody else really knows. But see, there is such freedom and peace when we go, you know what, me too. And I am a sinner saved by grace, and I am in process. And the places I fell last year or last week or last night are not going to be the same ones that I fall going forward. But if they are, I'm still in process. And listen, church, all of us are in process. All of us. All of us. And so we sing Hosanna, which means God save. We sing Hosanna. And we lay down our cloaks. And we wave our palm branches. And we, we believe that this is true. And then God is doing the thing in us. And see, God makes us right with him. And he makes us right with others. But one of the other things that the working of salvation in our life is doing, it brings us peace because he's working to restore a relationship with ourself. And I hate to even say that because so much of spirituality nowadays is talking about knowing yourself so you can be right with yourself. And that isn't the point of this. It's the bonus features. I used all your time, Nikki. I'm sorry. If you had even, if you even you had known what would bring you peace, but you didn't recognize the time of God's coming to you, listen, church, this is the time of God's coming to us. This day, seek and find the Lord while he might be found, Scripture says. So I don't know your backstory. I don't know your story to write this moment. I don't know what decisions you've made in your life. I don't know what God means to you. But hear this. This isn't just grumpy Jason. This is such good news. And if we were not so infected by our Norwegian culture, we would have just gotten really excited. Hear this good news, church. It's not on you to make your peace. Are you kidding me how good news that is? It's my job to sling faith things. I can't make my own peace. I've been in tears, I don't know how many times this week. I might need new meds. But it's with this realization that the things that I think are going to bring me peace aren't. And there's mourning in that. In death. 
And in that death resurrection. And so let go of the lie that you are responsible for your peace. You're not. You can't craft it. You can't make it. You can't vacation it. You can't buy it. You can't sleep with it. You can't. And the beauty of this is that Jesus is right there at the city gate. Go on, I'm about to come in. If we had Sunday night service, we'd go, and tonight we're going to look how he wipes out the temple. Because the story right after this is what? Jesus goes in and he clears the temple, either right away or the next day, depending on which author. Jesus disrupts where he goes. But not just for the point of disruption, like he gets joy in that. It's in tears, which lead to action, which, yes, clears the temple, but also leads humbly to the cross. And so this morning, we shift gears to communion. May we find comfort and peace in this. What bit of this story do you find yourself in? What thing is God challenging you in this? What is he putting his thumb on in your life that he wants you to respond to? Is it just trusting him for the first time? Choose this day to serve the Lord. Is it to let go of something again? Respond. If you only, if you, even you, knew what would bring you peace. And I say that to the wall to hear it bounce back to myself. So Jay, respond to that. Heavenly Father, thank you for this moment. Thank you for this story that's so much more than just a silly ticker tape parade that because you won the championship of religion. God, thank you for the ways that you are drawing us and wooing us and working in our life. God, I pray that the things that you are showing us we would respond to. God, thank you for your grace and your mercy and your goodness. Amen.